0: Sorry, I don't love you. A i have grown accustomed to. Cause with you, if something isn't wrong. Something isn't wrong. Something isn't right. I
1: wish you could be
0: happy. everyone you're now listening to the third episode of welcome to geekdom this week i have james shotwell on and we are going to talk all about Nicolas cage i'm sure you are all very excited about this i know a lot of people have some mixed thoughts on nick cage and today we are going to talk about you know quite a few of his movies and we'll probably touch on what it is about him that some people just do not like but james how are you doing today
1: i'm doing really well how are you doing
0: good now that that ants in the dog bowl problem is taken care of we can you know people who did not hear that
1: conversation are gonna be like what
0: (laughs) yes there were ants all over the dog bowl this morning that's all you need to know it was not pleasant
1: (laughs) it was it was not pleasant i like that ah you know yeah no my day has been good um not that exciting. It's only 11 a.m. here. I know it's only 9 a.m. where you are. So there's still a lot of ways it can go. It can go sideways on me.
0: Very true. But hopefully, you know, this will be a highlight of your day since I know how much you love talking about movies and actors and anything and everything film, basically. So why don't Mm -hmm. you go ahead and give us a little bit, bit of background on Nicolas Cage
1: as an actor or like my personal experience with Nicolas Cage?
0: Let's start with actor, and then we will dive into the personal experience.
1: Um, Well, Nicolas Cage is a national treasure, and I mean that both (laughs) as a pun and both in reality. He is an amazing talent that has been working in films since the late 80s. His first role is in Fast Times at Ridgemont High as an extra. I think he's actually, actually in that film, he appears as Nicolas Coppola, and that's because he is the son of August Coppola, the brother of you know, famous director Francis Ford Coppola, who any movie fan is going to recognize. And it didn't take long. You know, he does Fast Times at Ridgemont High as an extra in the early 1980s. That's like 82, I believe. Yeah. And he begins getting roles slightly bigger as early as 83 when he appears in Valley Girl. And then by the end of the 80s, you know, Raising Arizona comes out and he's kind of a household name. And then in the 90s, Nick Cage is like a giant star. He wins an Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. And then he has like this run of crazy, successful action films, Con Air, The Rock, Face Off. Those kind of go one, two, three in a row, and people love it. And then in the 2000s, things get a little rocky. National Treasure, this big Disney movie, comes out. It gives him a sequel. That's a huge hit. But on a personal side... Nick Cage falls into that oh so classic problem of you know not paying all of his taxes, <laughs> and ends up owing the government a lot of money. And because of this, coupled with declining revenues for his you know lead roles, he starts taking a lot of films that are very questionable. Uh, he starts doing like th- four to five films a year, especially in more recent years, and the quality is all over the place. But he, part of the reason he has to do this is because he has this giant debt he owes to the government and it's a similar position that Wesley Snipes found himself in. The thing is is that Nicolas Cage is such a good and interesting actor, even when he's not that great. There's something about his talent that just demands conversation because of what he does. And he's able to bring a certain amount of credibility to even the most absurd films even if they don't end up working out for him. And right now, I feel like I feel like we've been slowly ramping up to a Cage renaissance. I guess maybe maybe a second coming, if the first, maybe a third coming, because I think the second coming was National Treasure, and I feel like we're getting close to the period where we're going to see Nicolas Cage kind of regain national notoriety, but right now he's he's kind of been reduced to, like uh, a dire- a lot of his movies go to VOD. I can't think of the last film that had like a 3,000 screen release that he starred in off the top of my head, and I'm sure I'll think of it momentarily, but it's been a couple of years. So uh, things aren't as good as they once were for him right now, but he's still out there doing it.
0: Yeah. And I know you've probably seen a lot more of his movies than I have, just because you're so much more of a movie person. Me, I watch probably way more TV than I do movies. And I think of his older movies, not counting Fast Times at Ridgemont High, just because he was only an extra in that, like you mentioned, but I... Pretty sure I have seen Raising Arizona. I definitely remember specific scenes from that movie. So that's why I'm under the impression I saw the whole thing. So I think that is probably his oldest movie that I've seen. But have you gone back and watched, you know, those first movies like Valley Girl and Rumblefish? He has
1: uh, 85 credits, according to IMDb. Yeah. And I want to say 78 of them have been released or are. Are about to be released. So I have seen all of those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, my fandom has reached the level where I, I saw a lot of them naturally, just, you know, kind of growing up and being a fan of movies. But right. in the last three to four years, I've definitely kind of made a conscious effort to go back and check things that I haven't seen and just really try to nail down who this guy is as a person and as an artist because I, I find it fascinating. And uh, 78 roles, that's a lot of, that's a lot of time. You know, those, yeah. Even if every movie, if we average it out to be about two hours, that means I've spent like 150 hours of my life watching. <laughs> and that's only movies, that's if I've only seen everything once. And I can tell you right now that there are at least five films I can think of that I have seen three times or more that he's in. So I have I have definitely spent <laughs> probably a week of my life with Nicolas Cage.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, those late 90s, early 2000s was when he really had Some of these movies that I don't know if you want to say they became cult classics, but like Con Air and Face Off and Gone in 60 Seconds. Those are really popular movies as far as, you know, who's in them with him and everything, too. I think that's what sort of made those even on a bigger scale than some of his earlier movies.
1: Oh, no, I absolutely agree. There's, there is some quality star power there. Uh, and we'll get, we'll, get into, we'll get into it, because there are some interesting things about that run of movies. But I, I actually want to start by asking you a question. I know I'm the guest, but since, uh, since I think I, I'm kind of the Nicolas Cage know-it-all here, I'm going to ask <laughs> you a question to start. I'm always interested, when I talk about movies with anybody, I always get to Nicolas Cage. And the first thing I want to ask them is, what in your mind, because maybe you don't remember exactly, but what do you think was the first time you saw Nicolas Cage act? Like, what was the first movie you think you saw that he was in?
0: You know, I think it might have been Gone in 60 Seconds, just because I, I distinctly remember that movie sort of better than some of the other ones of his I watched. It was either that or possibly Con Air, but I get the feeling because I was only eight when Gone in 60 Seconds came out. I was not you know, watching movies like Con Air and that stuff until later, obviously, because for anyone who doesn't know, Con Air is literally an airplane full of convicts. And, you know, some are much worse than others. (laughs) But yeah, I think it was probably along the lines of either Gone in 60 Seconds or something else from the early 2000s. I know I watched National Treasure, but I'm also aware that was not the first time I saw Nicolas Cage, so I'm pretty sure it was gone in 60 seconds because I feel like that movie's always on TV. So whether or not it was me watching the movie in full or just catching part of it on TV one day when nothing else was on, I'm pretty sure that was the first movie.
1: I think see that's a good one. You're you're a little younger than me, so like yeah, I, I probably saw my first Cage movie about the same age, but I'm just i I'm slightly older, so it's an earlier film. But I mean you you like got introduced to the world of Cage like right when he was kind of at his pre- like his peak of mainstream movie star. So like you, and I mean, obviously when you see movies that young, you have like everything is good. Like there's right. nothing, there's like, uh, a whole nother conversation and maybe we can do another podcast another day about this is like the first time you see a, you have the cognizant idea that like something can be bad. because when you're young, you're like, every movie is good. Every movie right. is the, <laughs> the most amazing thing that's ever been created. And then one day you're growing up and you see a bad movie and you're like, oh, I didn't I didn't even realize these could be bad. Yeah. Like it's um, so you you jumped in when like you had no idea that there was a crazy Nicolas Cage because he kind of he keeps he keeps the craziness that makes him Nicholas Cage that makes him this fascinating talent pretty well contained in movies like Gone in 60 Seconds uh, and National Treasure. Those are those are like what I would call a mainstream Cage film because you don't see the layered talented actor that's underneath as much as he's just like a movie star. He's a very, you know, clean, clean cut movie star in those films.
0: Yeah. And like I said, I probably did not watch Gone in 60 Seconds the year it came out just because I was so young and my parents did have, you know, a rule where I couldn't watch certain movies until later or what have you, which I'm sure most parents tend to do. But it's funny that you mention the crazy side of Nicolas Cage because I watched Face Off. For the first time all the way through yesterday. And I was just like, wow, they are both completely insane in this movie, you know, with him and John Travolta. And I was like, this is different, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because like you said, I was so used to him being, you know, the national treasure guy and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, uh, a crazy thing about Face-Off and Con Air, they, they both came out in 1997 and I was 10 years old. So I saw them. I think I saw at Con Air in theaters almost for sure. I might have seen Face-Off on home video with my parents, but mm-hmm. uh, a little a little fun cage cagey in fact about those movies is on the, on the last day of shooting Con Air uh, spoiler. We're going to spoil some cage movies in this conversation. At the end of Con Air, they crash an airplane into Las Vegas. And they destroy a hotel. They actually did destroy that hotel. It was going to be demolished anyways. So they they lined up filming so that they could blow it up in the movie. But the day they finished filming that, Nick Cage got on his private jet. And he flew to the first day of filming Face Off. Within 12 hours, he was from one movie to the other movie. And if you watch closely, the only thing that really changes is he shaves his head and his character, I mean, his character in Face Off is crazy from like the moment the film begins. Right. And I'm going to call, and that's Caster Troy. He's also Sean Archer, but that's just how the movie works. Uh, Caster Troy is absolutely insane. But a lot of people don't know that in terms of making those movies, there was literally no time. He didn't even sleep between production on those two movies. He just flipped, flipped gears and made it. And they were both mega hits at the box office. So this is like, yeah. that's like Prime Cage my my introduction to nicholas cage happened like way earlier three years in terms of movies but it felt like a lifetime my first nicholas cage film and one a lot of people today don't even know exists is it could happen to you which is based on a true story about uh, a man who is in a stuck in a bad marriage and he won he wins the lottery and after he wins the lottery he goes to a diner to get breakfast he's a he's like a, a patrol officer a foot cop and he meets a waitress who he kinda of falls for and he and in and the true story is he gives the waitress his lottery winnings. Right. Uh, out of the kindness. And there's like obviously in the movie there's a lot more of a love story and stuff, but it's it's I, I own it on Blu-ray and I just recently rewatched it with my Fiance. or my wife, I say Fiance, we were engaged when we watched it. <laughs> she would kill me for that. <laughs> um but it's, it's one of those movies that they don't make anymore. Uh, a lot of his early films could be classified this way, but It Could Happen to You as a movie that would never get made in 2016. And if it did, it would get released directly to video and no one would know about it because it's literally just a story about a cop who goes to a diner and decides to give a waitress his lottery winnings. And the entire movie kind of takes place over the span of like three or four hours. And it's just one of those like cute feel-good love stories that isn't like it's not super good, it's not bad at all, it's just kind of like, oh, this it's like vanilla ice cream of movies, um, but when I saw it as a young child, I thought again it was like oh my god this is amazing and there's no crazy cage. He's like he's a he's a love interest in this movie, which he doesn't get to do a lot, especially right. as he gets older. He's because he's like an action star and a thriller star. But that's probably like my first introduction when I uh, that I can remember like clearly. I have memories of being a child and renting that movie on VHS and watching it with my parents and being like, that was really good. And like, it's rated PG, so it's pretty much family friendly. Um, And I love, I didn't even know that you had, people had favorite actors, because I was like seven when that movie came out, maybe six. So that's one of my earlier earlier mainstream movie memories. But by the time The Rock, Con Air, and Face Off come out, they, they come out one right after the other in that order. Uh, I was, like, full-blown Cage-a-holic. Plus, he was putting out two movies a year, so, like, it felt like... And that was... Back then, there weren't as many movies every year as we have. We have, like, hundreds more movies a year now. But back then, like, two movies in one year was unheard of for most. Like, Tom Cruise only did one, Brad Pitt only did one, but Nicolas Cage gave you two, and they were these giant action movies. And as a little boy, I was like, this is everything I need.
0: What do you think about him kind of going from those really big action movies to a movie like National Treasure where, yes, there's still some action in it, but it's more of a family-friendly movie because it is Disney?
1: What I always found most interesting about National Treasure is I would love to know, and I'm I'm sure the story's out there, how it comes to be Nicolas Cage because uh, post Gone in 60 Seconds, he hits this era, and actually a little right before Gone in 60 Seconds, he kind of enters this period post-Con Air and the Rock that is what I like to call Dark Cage, where he does one of my all-time favorite Nicolas Cage movies, 8mm. It's a horrible movie, but he is really good in it. Uh, it's about <laughs> underground child pornography, and he's like a he's a private eye trying to figure out the story behind the snuff film. He does that, he does Bringing Out the Dead, which is his only collaboration with Martin Scorsese, and it's about being an ambulance driver. Another, again, dark. He does Gone in 60 Seconds, which is kind of a mainstream film, and then he does The Family Man, which is a depressing-as-hell Christmas movie. Maybe the most depressing Christmas movie I've ever seen. Uh, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, which is like a random love story about the guy that plays the mandolin, a, a movie that has like no mainstream appeal whatsoever. Wind Talkers, limited mainstream appeal. Sunny, same thing. Adaptation, he gets an Oscar nomination, but still small, matchstick men, relatively small. And then National Treasure comes along and all of a sudden it's like in 2004, so almost a decade after The Rock and Face Off and all of that. And all of a sudden it was like, holy crap, Nicolas Cage is like the man again. Right. He made like eight movies that most people mainstream audiences didn't really care that much about and all of a sudden it was like no nah, he's gonna be a he's gonna be a star again and not a lot of people in hollywood get, get that opportunity like if you have like like a, like you're jennifer lawrence right now she's writing that that wave that's like the hunger games and that gave her the opportunity to get a job like american hustle and american hustle led us to joy and now she has passengers coming out but you can bet that when jennifer lawrence hits a stream of movies that aren't hundred million dollar films like if she something that just crashes and burns she's not gonna just go right back to that like there's there's levels to it you kind of go to movie jail for a while and Nicholas Cage keeps finding a way to break out of movie jail right so I I actually I adore those movies I, those came out when i was in high school the first one i was a sophomore in high school when the first national treasure came out i remember going with my family and my dad's the one who got me into movies and music and he and i share this interest in nicholas cage I, his is definitely subdued compared to mine but again i i spend all day thinking about this stuff so it's understandable um but those movies were like an event for my family and they still are like I, I always tell my dad to watch those. So I, I, I love the National Treasure films and they keep saying there's going to be a third one. And I believe there should be, even though the second National Treasure is nothing compared to the first one. Um, I, I'm willing to see those characters return.
0: I want to bring up these two movies just because I know you're a bit of a comic book fan as well. And. Nick Cage was Johnny Blaze in Ghostwriter and the sequel, which was Ghostwriter: Spirit of Vengeance. Mm. I know I definitely saw the first one. I cannot recall if I saw the second one. But what did you think about these movie adaptations of that character? Well,
1: this is see. This is where I feel like it's important in in all fandom. If you're going to say that you're like a super fan of something, you have to be able to admit when uh, when you're. That thing you love so much isn't as good as it could be. Right. And I think Ghostwriter films are a prime example of like sometimes things just don't work. Like I I love Ghostwriter's a top three comic book character of mine. And Nicolas Cage is my favorite actor of all time. And no one else should play Nicolas Cage. Like it's it's a character tailor-made for him because he's he's this crazy amalgamation of all these feelings and this this energy inside of him. Him that he has to kind of control in order to fit into society as much as a character like Johnny Blaze can. And then he has the ability to just unleash it and go crazy. And that's that's almost exactly everything Nicolas Cage does in a nutshell. But these films just miss it. So they they miss it so hard on a list of the best of like ranking all comic book films. These are like bottom of the barrel. The first one is worse than the second one in that it takes about it's almost i think the first one's nearly or maybe even over two hours long and it feels as long as it is right the second one and the studio recognized this so when they go to make ghostwriter spirit Vengeance, nick cage is on board and he feels he knows how to fix it and their solution is to bring on the guys who made crank and crank too which in theory again great idea because those crank movies are all about like insanity and it just doesn't again, it just doesn't work. Like the character, it just doesn't feel the world doesn't feel tactile. The character and the story feel underthought. The ghostwriter kind of becomes like the smart ass joker kind of thing, but it doesn't, it just never gels perfectly. And I I own both. I, I have a pretty dense home movie collection. And I I I kind of make it a point to own as many of the Nicolas Cage films on Blu-ray as they release. So I have both of them. But I've I and when I bought them, I was like, I'm gonna give these movies another chance. It's been about a decade and I bet they've grown on me and they haven't. <laughs> if anything, I feel I hate the first one even more than I did originally. Right. He's he's fine in it, but I I feel like it's a missed opportunity. But on the topic of comic books, I think where he succeeds is in the kick ass movies. Or okay. in the first kick ass movie. Like that's not that's based on a graphic novel comic series that was And I don't think a lot of people really expected a lot out of the film, but his performance in Kick-Ass as Big Daddy or Damon McCready is phenomenal. And it reminds, it reminded audiences because that was a movie that kind of targeted teenagers and young adults who might not have cared about Con Air and The Rock and Face-Off because they were a little too young. That was a movie kind of hit those audiences and introduced them to Nicolas Cage, even though he was playing like the parent role, he was able to still be a badass.
0: Yeah, and Kick Ass, I haven't seen it, but I know enough about it to know it's completely different from doing, say, a Marvel movie. And, you know, Ghost Rider is a Marvel character. And I brought that up because right now, while they're not doing the Johnny Blaze storyline, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing the Robbie Reyes Ghost Rider right now. And I think, you know, even just them doing that in the TV show is already going a lot better than I think these two movies did. And for, you know, a TV budget, they're doing really well with the effects and everything, too. So it would be interesting to see if, you know, Marvel decides to reinvigorate Ghost Rider on the movie screen. And even if it's not Johnny Blaze, if they go the Robbie Reyes route and kind of tie it in with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because we've already seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. be tied in with the Marvel Cinematic Universe before,
1: No, I've been following it and I I really wish that they would have offered him the role. But Nicolas Cage is like you and I talked before how Don here Nicolas Cage has been has been checking out four to five movies a year recently. So I think he just it's. I mean, maybe they didn't even think to ask him, even though that would have been cool. But I think it's one of those things where he's just so busy doing other projects that he wouldn't have been able to return. It makes me happy to see the character come back though, because when whenever you have a, an actor or actress that you love and you see them do a role that is not as good as you know it could be, when they make a reboot or they like have cast someone else as that character and something else, you kind of get this feeling that's like, okay, well, now the world is going to think of that actor as that person, and so my beloved actor might kind of get to pass. Maybe we'll forget about Ghost Rider, the movies, because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is doing it. And if they do it really well, maybe they'll make some new movies and we can just act like those old ones didn't happen.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, Marvel kind of has that down with knowing when to use the same actors and when to use different actors. But I think, you know, to go a little off topic from Nick Cage real quick, I think DC kind of struggles with that a lot more because, you know, we see... Grant Gustin as The Flash on TV for going on three seasons now. They just started season three and then they go and cast someone totally different from The Flash we already know and love in the movies. And it's like, you know, they're kind of not giving the fans that continuity we might want to see. But with Marvel, you know, Clark Gregg, he's in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., he's been in the movies. Hayley Atwell was in the movies and then did Agent Carter. And, you know, I think Lady Sif was in a few episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at some point. So, you know, they're kind of doing the fan service of having these big movie stars come in and do the TV shows as well.
1: No, I I agree uh, because I'm somebody that wholeheartedly believes Grant Gustin is the Flash. And I love Ezra Miller. I think he's a fantastic actor. I just, I don't like, and and DC gets away with it because they like to use the multiverse idea where they're like, well, this is one universe of characters in movies and TV is another universe of characters. And Gotham, the TV show, isn't related to the Batman that you see now. And I mean, that's fine because to be honest, that is more accurately how comic books work. You know there are there are three i think maybe four batman books concurrently running right now in dc it's right. all-star batman there's batman batman beyond batman and robin so on and they all have their own their own origin and their own stories and they are not interconnected at all so to dc's credit that's that's how it works in comic publishing however i think in movies and in um entertainment property visual entertainment properties people like shared the interconnectivity of the marvel universe i think that's kind of part of the fun of of how marvel plays with their sandboxes there's always this idea that like oh so and so could show up in the story or you know we could introduce someone here and bring them back here And how but marvel itself to be fair is is disconnecting a bit because it does feel like daredevil jessica jones iron fist the defenders exist in a world that is close to, but not connected to the cinematic Marvel universe. You know what I mean? Like, right. like those shows are darker and aesthetically removed from the cinematic universe. So I think, you know, it's possible Marvel may eventually go that way, but I, I do think that that's a struggle and we are getting off topic, but it's an important topic. That's another, that's another conversation. We have at least two additional podcasts in <laughs> yes. and keep people coming back.
0: Definitely. I,
1: I, I told you to watch a movie to do this podcast. Did you get around to watching The Trust?
0: Yes, I did. And I watched that two days ago, I think, because I did that. And then I did Face Off yesterday. Okay. But I, I checked that out on Netflix. And to me, I was kind of like, I don't know if this really feels like a Nicolas Cage movie. You know, I felt like it was one of those movies where it didn't have to be him in that role necessarily
1: uh, well for people listening this is uh, the trust is the latest Nicholas Cage film and it is it just got added to Netflix uh, there is uh, two more coming out well you could count Snowden he's in Snowden but it's a very small role right. there are two more still coming out this year but the trust is the most recent one that you can is e- easily available to the public uh, and he and Elijah Wood star as cops that learn about a vault a vault filled with jewels and they set out to rob it. And I would agree. It is not the first hour or so. It could be anybody. It's cool to see Nicolas Cage and Elijah Wood together because I think they're both I think they both appeal to the same demographics. Like if you love one of them, you probably like the other because it's that right. uh, it's that slightly off the beaten path mainstream talent kind of thing. But there's a moment near the end of The Trust and I don't want to spoil what's happening in the movie, but you'll know what I'm talking about where Nicolas Cage wants Elijah to open the safe. Right. <laughs> and it's it's a moment that I think exemplifies what it is that I'm talking about when I say the thing that makes Nicolas Cage Nicolas Cage. Because the whole movie, he's this rather calm and collected individual who's slowly becoming unhinged. But in this moment, when Elijah Wood will not open this door, he explodes and he yells, open it what feels like 13 to 20 times in a row. And it's this it's this um, the entire movie comes to a screeching halt for Nicolas Cage to have like a basically a a crybaby style outburst. And it's it's equal parts incredibly silly and ridiculous, yet entirely captivating in my mind, because that's what I pay to see when I see a Nicolas Cage movie. I want that moment where the, the veil of whoever his character is kind of slides down just enough to see that like the madman that is nicolas cage is still alive behind the mask and actually any of your podcast listeners like other entertainment podcasts if you listen to hollywood babylon of kevin smith and ralph garman i actually submitted uh, the audio from that sequence to their podcast they have a they have a segment called um uh, they have a segment where they play bad acting clips. It's called something like Magnificent Acting or something like that. And they just play clips of people chewing the scenery in movies. And they they, they have a whole bit where they made fun of my name and, and played the clip. Uh, so you can go and seek that out from a couple episodes back on their podcast. But I think it's a really good movie. I would agree that it's not a movie that definitely needs Nicolas Cage. But right. when the, when that scene comes up, I feel like the entire hour and a half is worth it. Because you're just like... You will not see that moment in any movie that doesn't feature Nicolas Cage. Like he he's the only one that can do that thing that he does. And that's that's it. That's the that's the intangible thing that people look for in Nicolas Cage. And for some reason, as dumb as it as it kind of is, because it is, it is, it's it's laughable when it happens in the movie.
0: Right. But there's something about it
1: that you is kind of compelling where you're just like. I like to pretend when I'm watching a movie with, where I think someone is acting their ass off, be it good or bad. I always wonder what it was like to be one of the other 12 people on set that you don't see. You know, the gaffer, the director, the script supervisor, whoever it is. When, when Nicolas Cage unleashes whatever he keeps in that cage, it's, it's like, I just imagine everyone stopping in their tracks and no one having the goal to say, let's do it again. Because you're right. just like, you're like, I, I guess, I guess we've got it. Like, I I guess that's it. This is what I mean. Okay. I guess this is what we're doing. Like, he just commands it and you just kind of have to go with it.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, this scene happens about an hour into the movie. And, you know, I did feel like it was a pretty slow movie to start, even though it was only an hour and a half or so. Because it's like you sit there through that whole first hour and you're like, okay, so they're going to, you know, break into the safe, but where is this really going and i feel like that moment is kind of the moment you know it's going to go all downhill from there oh yeah
1: that's definitely where you're like oh this is this is not going necessarily where i thought it was gonna go right and that's i mean a lot of his movies kind of boil down to that it's a it's seemingly obvious setup that then kind of goes sideways but this is this is part of what i find so fascinating about him and why when you ask me like what i would love to talk about and what i love to talk about in movies is nicholas cage because since his tax problems arose in the mid 2000 he has done movies that range from like god awful to arguably incredible but always across the board underappreciated by the world at large and it's and part of me just admires that dedication because there are so many people in Hollywood that get into this mindset where they're like, every movie counts. And in some respects for, especially people just starting out, it does. Like a bad movie can sink your career, especially if you're the top tiered actor. But Nicolas Cage has won an Oscar. He's been in the biggest, mo- some of the biggest action films of all time. And now he's doing movies that, are lucky to get like a marketing budget, it seems like. But right. he's still, but through it all, he he gives it 110%. Like in that moment in the trust, you have no doubt that he is 100% present in what he's doing. And it's not like, oh, this isn't a big movie, so I'm just going to go through the motions, which you see so often, especially in the age of VOD, where studios will put out movies that are clearly not good just because they have people that you recognize in them. Nicholas Cage manages to give it 110% even when he knows the movie is not going to be up to snuff. And I, and I didn't have you watch this because it is honestly not a great film. But last year, the same time he was in a horror movie about ghost children called pay the ghost. That is so mind bogglingly mediocre that you're like, why would he do this? And then you right. look through his IMDB and it's like, Oh, Nicholas Cage has never done a straightforward horror movie other than maybe the wicker man which is a reboot he's never done yeah. a ghost story and so there's this thing where it's like at 70 some movies in 50 years of age it's almost like Nicolas cage is sitting around being like what haven't i done yet who haven't i been and then he yeah. sits out and, and then he gives you that so like if you're like i want to see Nicolas cage as a politician there's a great movie called the runner that no one saw where he plays a uh a governor in the wake of Hurricane Katrina, who's trying to help his citizens. But then it comes out that he frequents prostitutes. And the entire movie is about how, even though he's a great man, who's doing great things for the area, as soon as there's this story about him being, uh, about his sexual tendencies, the story in the media becomes all about him being a sex fiend and he's no longer able to do the good things he was doing because of our, our, our culture's obsession with drama. And it's it's like this great little commentary piece. It's like, oh, so you want to see Nicolas Cage be a be a governor? Nailed it. There you go. You want to see him be an ambulance driver? He's done that. Find Ghost Kids. He's got a Ghost Kids movie. It's it's hard to name like a even a, a mindless task that Nicolas Cage hasn't shown us on the big screen in a compelling way. And I think I think the the audacity or the willingness of somebody to be like. I can do anything and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do anything you put in front of me as long as it's interesting to me is something I respect so much. Because you and I know, coming from the world of music, all the time, every single day, there is a battle between the musicians that you and I love and we would love to get paid to talk about or support and the musicians we actually get paid to talk about and support. And, like, you always have to make these, like, sacrifices or you have to make these... um, Yeah. You kind of have to make a deal with yourself where it's like, well, we'll do a little bit of what we want to do and a lot of what we have to do. And Nicolas Cage is like, screw it. I'm just going to do what I want to do. As long as the check clears, I'm here.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, a lot of the more recent movies not having these huge marketing budgets and what have you. And I think it's interesting that, you know, the biggest movie he's probably been in in a while is Snowden. But you said he has such a small role in that it's, you know, not by any means a Nicolas Cage movie because Joseph Gordon-Levitt is playing Snowden. So he's, you know, the central figure in this movie. And I wonder if, you know, some of these movies coming up that are in post-production, pre-production and still filming and whatnot, what kind of marketing budget those will end up getting?
1: I, you know, I wonder the same thing. Now, when we, if we want to look towards his films coming up, there's a There's one that's coming out in November called Dog Eat Dog with him and Willem Dafoe. It's another like heist movie, bad guys doing something crazy. And and that's great because Willem Dafoe is another one of those actors that's kind of known for exploding on screen. Like he just does this ridiculous thing that if it happened in real life, you'd be like that person is, off that it has a broken hinge somewhere inside of them so to see the two of them be able to get together and kind of just be crazy is that that appeals to me on a very deep level um he also has this year still this movie, uh, two more movies actually, still this year after that. USS Indianapolis, Men of Courage, which was directed by Mario Van Peebles. And if anyone has ever seen the movie Jaws, there's this great scene where they're sitting on the boat and they get told this story about a, a naval ship that sinks at sea from an attack and the soldiers make it off board only to realize that they're surrounded by sharks. Uh, there's a movie about that coming out. It doesn't, it has a very tiny budget uh, based on the trailer, but Nicolas Cage is in that and then he's in this movie called Army of One with Russell Brand. That's a and we can get there, but he like you said earlier, he does a lot of things with other kind of interesting talents where you're like, Oh, I, I wonder what a movie where Nicolas Cage and Russell Brand are together would look like. And and one exists. Right. Uh and in that movie, Nicolas Cage plays a man who goes to Afghanistan to find Osama bin Laden by himself. I wanna see that. I've never seen that before. I need to see that. But looking to the next year. Or maybe even 2018, I think we'll see. I think this is why I think there's this resurgence coming. Because there's a sequel for The Croods, which a lot of people might have forgotten, but it's an animated movie about a a family. I don't know, do you call them cave people? I know a caveman, but what is a caveman's family called?
0: I cave have no people? idea. <laughs> Probably just go with cave people. Cave
1: people. It's about cave people. It was an animated movie. DreamWorks made it. They're making a sequel because it made like three hundred million dollars worldwide. And there's this rumor that we'll get another National Treasure. So if the Croods two ends up being a big hit, because you know DreamWorks is going to pour advertising into that movie, and even though it's just right. his voice, he's the main character. He's the main. He's the dad. Uh, if that movie can become a hit, I think we'll see. National Treasure 3 get greenlit, and as much as I hate sequels, in this era of film, uh, a sequel can be the way to get, to make the movie you wanna make, you know what I mean? You you do something that helps the studio make a bunch of money, they're willing to give you a chance to do something a little bit more explorative. But if those movies don't pan out, he has three other movies already in post-production that are planned for 2017 that all look great one that i want to highlight two that i want to highlight but one that i love more than the other is called mom and dad that i think will probably premiere at sundance or south by southwest it's directed by brian taylor who's one of the people behind ghostwriter spirit of vengeance in the crank movies and it stars Nicolas cage and selma blair as uh, a pair of parents in the suburbs the movie is about um, a group of teenagers who have to survive a wild 24 hours during which a mass hysteria causes parents to turn violently on their kids it's a whole movie about nicholas cage and selma blair trying to kill their kids in the <laughs> and i am like foaming at the mouth with excitement for what that could look like you know what i mean because that yeah. that seems like we're gonna see just crazy cage from beginning to end
0: you know i think if we hadn't done this podcast i wouldn't necessarily know about a lot of these movies that Nicholas Cage has done in the last five years because I feel like, you know, the Ghost Rider sequel was really the last thing I kind of remember actively hearing about him being in and then, you know, all the way through up until Snowden. Like, Snowden's been getting a lot of marketing and everything for that, especially, you know, In the current state of the United States and how everything is going at the moment. But, you know, a lot of these movies, especially The Trust, I had no clue that was a movie until you told me to watch it. And then, you know, looking at the IMDb page, I'm like, oh, he did quite a few things that I was completely unaware of.
1: Yeah, there's and that's that's well, I have found that's really common because people will be like, "Oh, I love Nicolas Cage. What has he done recently?" And I'm like, "Oh my god, he's done 10 movies in the last 2 years." And it's just it's a matter of like people don't see him and part of it's because like they don't go to theaters. So if you want to see it, you have to be somebody that uses like iTunes to find movies because they go on right. VOD or on demand or they have to end up on Netflix and you know, Netflix is so focused on original content right now that a lot of their when they add new movies, you don't always see them. Like, right. unless it's, like, the Disney movies. They've been pushing those Disney movies really heavily. But, like, the trust they added, like, a week ago. And, I, you know, I had to tell you about it. So that's a good yeah. sign of, like, how hard it is to find. But um, I, I, can make, I wanted to make a few quick recommendations. So I assume that most people have kind of fallen off the Nicolas Cage wagon from about 2009 or 2010. Because 2010 was kick-ass. So that was, like, his last big hit and then ghost rider spirit of vengeance 2011 if we want to get like loose with it the cruise was 2013 but again it's average but in between there he has made a lot of movies that i would tell you to never watch unless you're like just aching for a cage fix uh
0: the,
1: the movie seeking justice rage outcast um and pay the ghost i mean they're right there is five movies that i that i couldn't find a reason to tell you to watch like they're just There are very generic action movies that if you have like 13 things you need to do and you like having movies on in the background, like that's the best situation to watch them in. However, if you want to see him actually doing the thing that we like to do, I'm a big fan of the movie Joe, which uh, was made by David Gordon Green in 2013. And it's kind of this somber coming of age-ish story about an ex-con, Nicolas Cage who meets a 15 year old boy played by Ty Sheridan uh, and kind of like uses him and his relationship to find a little bit of redemption for the things he's done. It's a it's one of those like Nicolas Cage playing the subdued older man who's looking for uh, a fresh take on life. And and it's, it's a beautiful little movie. I also recommend The Runner. That's that politics movie I already talked about and uh, i'm a fan of the frozen ground that's nicholas cage and john cusack john cusack plays a serial killer nicholas cage is the cop looking for him that's pretty great and uh it this is a weird one and it it's horrible because it has aged very badly um but he made a movie called drive angry in 2011 that is a really good example of crazy Cage. And people who wish Ghost Rider was better will probably like drive angry if they haven't given it a chance because it's almost the same idea because Nicholas Cage plays a demon who has escaped from hell and helps this blonde girl, I don't know, fight bad guys, basically. Like he, he escapes from hell and hell comes to take him back and a lot of insanity ensues. But the crazy thing is is that it was made it was shot in three D, but it was shot in three D in two thousand ten. And I don't think a lot of of people realize how much 3d has improved in six years but when you watch this film there are things that look so bad like i'm i'm not even kidding you deanna there's this sequence where william fichtner is playing the bad guy he's there's a car accident it happens in slow motion and he's he's able to walk out of the car as it's crashing and step onto another vehicle it's a really cool shot but it looks like a video game from the 90s it's so (laughs) awful because the car explodes and the pieces of the car like fly into the screen because it was a 3D movie. But to watch it in 2D, it's, oh, it's so bad. It's (laughs) so unbelievably bad. But the movie itself is super fun because Cage has basically just unleashed the wild man the entire time. Yeah. But I mean, you could watch many, but there are, I'll be the first to admit there are some bad ones. I just feel like when, in in this age, there's not a lot of movie stars in You know, like when you and I were younger, there were movie stars. Brad Pitt was a movie star. George Clooney, movie star. Like they made, they were like gods almost. You know, like they they were, everyone knew who they were. Everyone saw all their movies. And the way we consume media has become so fragmented and the amount of movies being created has grown at such a rate that I don't really think there are a lot of those like global movie stars anymore, at least not from a box office standpoint. That's why Chris Pratt is in everything but those actors that were once known as like these titans of industry they're still out there doing it and not all their movies are great i think money monster with george Clooney is kind of weak i think that new brad pitt movie allied looks kind of meh but Nicolas cage is out there doing it and i don't think he'll ever be he'll ever be like con air famous again but i think he will continue to give us con air performances for the rest of time and also i would watch a con air sequel in a heartbeat i don't know how but let's do it let's do it con air 2 bigger bigger plane.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know, you said you've pretty much seen everything that Nicolas Cage has done. Is he the only actor that you've done that for or do you still have, you know, a select few like you mentioned before everyone would go see all of the Brad Pitt movies, all of the George Clooney movies, and then when you have something like Ocean's 11 come out, you know, that's just so many stars in one place that, you know, that was a must-see movie especially for the time
1: um you know i do actually it's it's funny you mentioned that it's this is kind of a newer thing for me within the last year or two as i've gotten into film writing but when i lived in boston i was friends with this critic jake mulligan who writes for a bunch of websites so i'm going to shout out jake mulligan but he he told me about something he started doing because you know when you and you know this from music when you start writing about music you tend to start writing about whatever you're listening to at that time and then moving forward you write about you know, sometimes you write anniversary pieces, but you write about everything that's coming out. You don't really look backwards that often. Right. um, Unless it's like a personal thing where you're like, oh, I want to talk about how this album influenced me to get here or something like that. So Jake told me that I, I noticed that he was really good at writing about the way certain directors made movies. Like he under, he seemed to understand ideas that ran from movie to movie or like certain aesthetics that you could find in everything a certain director made. And I asked him about how he did that one time. And he goes, You know, one day I just realized that I was watching um, Lincoln, I believe it was, from Steven Spielberg. And I, I thought to myself, I've seen some of this before. Not scenes, but ideas or like the way scenes looked. I thought that I had seen some of that before. So he told me about how he went back to the very first Steven Spielberg film and he watched them all in order from beginning to present day and by the end of it he really felt he understood who steven spielberg was as a filmmaker the kind of stories he told the themes and ideas to expect in his movies and you know some aesthetic stuff and i thought that was a really captivating idea so i've started to try to apply the same thing to both movies and music so if i if i find an actor or a filmmaker that i really like i try to go back and watch everything they've made up to this point because i i like to i like to see the process and in music it's a lot easier because there's usually a lot more songs and people post demos you don't really get demos in movies you know um so what you have to do is you have to go back so uh, another example like uh, another actor i'm this way about we could do a whole another conversation on but i like him for similar reasons is michael shannon and he's somebody when i fell in love with Take Shelter. He had only done like three other movies. So it was easy for me to go back and be like, oh, I'm going to watch Shotgun Stories, which is his first big movie, and then everything else Up to Take Shelter. And then I've seen everything since. Uh, uh, Jeff Nichols, the guy that made Take Shelter, a similar idea. Take Shelter blew me away. So I went back and I've watched everything he does. But I I feel like if you want to be a true fan of somebody, or if you have an actor or actress that you like in a movie, I encourage everyone to look at their IMDb, Go back as far as you possibly can in terms of their filmography and go from beginning to end and fill in all the holes because it's more than likely, especially in today's era where everyone is releasing a ton of things, you've missed some stuff. And when you see it all sequentially or even out of order, you start to get a better sense for who the person is and what attracts them to the things they do and why they act the way they do. I mean, it's easy to see a Nicolas Cage performance like The Trust and be like, oh, he's insane. But when you watch his filmography as a whole, you're like, oh, it's it's the ability to kind of harness and then unleash that insanity that makes Nicolas Cage who he is as a talent. And it's kind of interesting to see that evolve and transform over the course of his career.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I haven't done this to the extent that you have. But when I first started seeing Anna Kendrick pop up in quite a few movies that I was watching, I sort of did that. I went back and I. Looked at her IMDb and I was like, okay, this would interest me. This would interest me, and I sort of, sort of started watching more of her movies. And while I was not a fan of the Twilight movies at all, I don't plan on watching any of the other ones she was in. I think I saw one of the Twilight movies and I was over it, so you know those won't get watched. But you know, she was in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Fifty Fifty, The Pitch Perfect movies. So she started popping up in a bunch of these movies that I probably would have watched anyway. So then I just kind of kept going back and watching, you know, some more of her movies, and now she's going to be in Trolls. So I'm sure I'll watch that just because, you know, it's her, Justin Timberlake, I think, you know, Gwen Stefani is in it and a bunch of people that, you know, either I enjoy their music or enjoy them as actors and actresses. So I definitely also recommend what you're saying. And if you really like someone, just go and watch sort of everything they've done or as much of it as you can stand in my case. Oh, it
1: is true you're going to find things that are bad but like my least favorite Nicolas Cage movie without question is the stupid thing called Season of the Witch which isn't even that old it's like 4 or 5 years old now and it's Nicolas Cage and a few other great actors and it takes place in in ancient times and they basically there's there's a witch and they have to transport this this person across the land and their sword fighting it's just awful and i walked i saw it in theaters and i walked out but when i started buying all the nicholas cage movies on blu-ray because in my mind one day i'm going to have a small child who i'm going to want to introduce to all the things i love and i just i'm banking on them loving nicholas cage right and so i've been collecting all these movies and i i bought season of the witch brand new sealed from best buy one day because it was in like the four dollar bin fittingly i might add um (laughs) i came home and i put it on and i was like i'm gonna get through this damn movie today because i've never done that before i'm gonna finish this film and i'm gonna figure out what i've been missing and i've watched it twice now since i've owned it and both times i'm just i'm tearing my eyes out of my head before the movie ends because it's so awful but but now that i've seen everything else and i've kind of filled in the blanks of like what he made right before that movie and right after that movie you kind of get it you're like okay he's just trying something new here and it didn't work out, but there are parts of his performance I can appreciate. And I always think I love something I love about music and film is like, there's the ability to love something the first time you see it. And then there's the ability to deconstruct it and kind of love aspects of it. And then when you get a little deeper into your obsession with movies or film, you can be like, okay, you can separate the bad parts of something from the good parts. You pick, well, season of the witch is a disaster of a movie. But Nicholas Cage he has some great moments in it. And that tends to be the story of most of his films that don't work is it's like, well, he's really good. The material just can't rise up to his level because he tends to come into a project that's pretty mediocre and add something really good to it. But that, but in order for the whole thing to become good, it all has to kind of rise up to his level. That that doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. And I just want to wrap this up real quick with the thought of, you know, Clearly, you and I think he's a good actor, even in movies that aren't great. But I feel like, you know, a lot of people really, really don't like Nicolas Cage or just don't care for his movies. And why do you think that is, even when he has movies like, you know, Gone in 60 Seconds, Con Air and Face Off and National Treasure under his belt? What is it do you, do you think that makes people not like him as an actor?
1: That's a really good question. I, you know, I, I've thought about it a lot. And I think some of it is, I, I think some of it is as easy as people, not everyone likes complicated things when it comes to film. Like Nicolas Cage is kind of an enigma. And there's actually a great, someone, there's more than one person has written a book about Nicolas Cage. But my favorite one is called National Treasure, Nicolas Cage. And it's, it's a nice exploration of his work throughout the throughout his history. But there's something it's something that makes Nick Cage a bit of an enigma, because you never really know. You know that that, that craziness is in there, and it's going to present itself in the role somehow. But sometimes sometimes that unpredictability factor makes you a risk for moviegoers. Because most people, the vast majority of people that love movies, not like you and I who want to pick it apart, but people who look at movies as entertainment or a form of escapism, they want something straightforward. They want to sit down, spend ninety-five minutes watching something, and when they're done, they want to feel like they had fun or they were scared. They want to walk. They want to be able to just walk away. You know, right. like that was an That was a that was a time killer, a space filler, and now life goes on. But Nicolas Cage, much like Michael Shannon and some other contemporaries out there, they demand that you that you work when you watch a movie. You know what I mean? Like they. Yeah. They, there's some. You have to do something on your end to get as invested in what's happening as they clearly are in their performance. And to me, that's exciting because I feel like uh, the vast majority of movies are made with that, with the bulk of people in mind, where they're like, we just gotta tell a straightforward story that is not that layered that people can, that people of all ages can consume, that appeals to moms, dads, kids, and grandmas. And Nicolas Cage doesn't doesn't fit into that. When you watch a Nicolas Cage movie, you cannot help digging a little deeper. And, And if you refuse to, you end up being kind of disappointed because you're like, well, it wasn't a clear cut thriller or it wasn't a clear cut action film or it wasn't it wasn't what I thought it would be. But if you're able to kind of separate, if you're able to dig a little deeper and be like, well, what is he doing with this performance or who is this character or Whatever the case may be, there's so much more to enjoy and talk about. That's why that's kind of why I asked you to watch The Trust, because I I mean, it is his most recent film, so it made it easy to talk about. But that's a great example. You yourself said where it's like the movie you're kind of about, but there's something about what he does in that role that when the last half kind of starts to go crazy, you start to find yourself appreciating the movie as a whole more because because of how good he is. You're like, oh, my gosh, I think I actually like this a little bit because of what he's doing and it makes you think about it and it makes you kind of dive deeper into the material and that's not what most people want in movies unfortunately it's like the same thing happens with music a band like the the I think nicholas cage is like the deer hunter almost in terms of actors the deer hunter is fantastic and if you just hear a song like red hands it's easy to be like they're really good a little orchestral but really good and catchy songs but if you listen to like act five as a whole you gotta you gotta be ready to dig deep. You know, you're gonna you're gonna go on an adventure that requires some thought and effort on your end to fully appreciate. And that's that's what I think is what Nicolas Cage's biggest pro and biggest con is for most people.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we can kind of go ahead and wrap it up here. Are there any last words you have on Nicolas Cage?
1: Mm. Well, for people that feel like they've seen everything, uh, there are a few films that I feel like a lot of people overlook for whatever reason that he's really good in. So I would like to suggest people watch *Bad Lieutenant*, *Port of Call*, *New Orleans*. Nicolas Cage plays an absolutely vile police officer who like does hard, does narcotics, and he gets a blowjob in public at one point. It's a crazy, it's a crazy movie, but it's uh, it's one of his best performances. A lot of people didn't see it, and uh, I always. This is a weird one that I only recently rewatched. We talked about filling in gaps. A movie that I skipped for years, World Trade Center. A movie that arguably doesn't need to exist yet. Just like we don't need a Patriots Day about the Boston Marathon bombing. Um, I do think World Trade Center came out too soon. It came out in 2006. That's way right. too soon. Um, but watching it now, 15 years removed from it, it's really good. Like it's a really, really well-made movie. It just suffers from the fact that I don't think people were ready to. "Quote unquote," be entertained by nine
0: eleven. Yeah, and that's one I actually did go see in theaters. Which typically I'm not a big theater person. Like now, I'll go see some of the Marvel, DC, or you know, Star Wars movies in theaters, and that's pretty much it for the most part. And you know, I remember going to the theater and watching World Trade Center, and it's like that was just such a heavy hitting movie to come out only, you know, like you said, five years later, and it was probably way too soon to be doing that.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's its fault is that I think a lot of people didn't see it because they were like, I'm not ready to go back there. But now that we're a little ways out, I think it's, it's good to go back and revisit it because there is something kind of, kind of brilliant about what he does in it. And lastly, my last, my last recommendation, though I recommend watching everything is I'm, I'm a big proponent of the films. No one really likes. I love bringing out the dead, Martin Scorsese, Nicolas Cage, and John Goodman. It is a trio of perfection. And it's, it's a dark, dark movie about the way uh, the, the emotional toll that being a late-night ambulance driver takes on somebody. But it is beautifully shot. And it's, it's, a, it's a hard one to get through. But it's, it's worth the effort because Cage puts in a lot of work there. And that whole dark era of 8 millimeter, Snake Eyes, Bringing Out the Dead, it's, it's interesting because he's John Travolta is doing something very similar right now and I think for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. But actors that have that that big mainstream streak of talent where they kind of become known for being this certain kind of star, they always end up taking a streak of dark movies that never succeed as much as their bigger, more family-friendly hits do. But in Nicolas Cage, that period of his career actually is... Kind of where we got some of his best performances, and Leaving Las Vegas is not exactly a happy movie. He wins an Oscar for it, but I think he's had better performances. The movies just, it's just you know, it just hasn't happened for him again. It might though. He's still got time. He's only, he's only, uh, I don't know. He's like in his fifties. He was born in '64, so he's like 52, 53 now. Right. So there's still a chance that we will see the the second coming of Nicolas Cage with the best Oscar. He's about to start playing grandpas and stuff, and that could open up a lot of doors for him. <laughs>
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today to talk all about Nicolas Cage. I know, you know, this was sort of something that was probably inevitable for you to do, because clearly you really enjoy watching his movies, good or bad. And, you know, you think he's definitely a good actor to kind of just devote yourself to, essentially. And this was a really fun conversation to do. Oh
1: well I appreciate that a lot and I, I do. I, I do think this was a, an inevitable thing. I've actually thought I thought about doing a cage cast podcast where we just watch all of his movies in order. <laughs> um but I understand that a lot of them are hard for people to find so I don't know that many people would care about Captain Carelli's Mandolin. But I uh, I do I do feel strongly about it because I I feel like in an age where everyone is obsessed with what's the next big thing, it's important to remember that there are people, there are lifers in the entertainment industry that are doing some of their best work ever, but we tend to overlook it because we're obsessed with what the next big thing is going to be. And it's, it's good to step back and remember that like you don't have to be seeing every new movie that comes out in theaters every weekend to, to see the best of what's out there. Most of the best of what's out there is older and you need and it's worthwhile to make time to experience it.
0: Yeah. And I have to say, honestly, following your film writing and everything, that's sort of my main source of keeping up with movies, especially, you know, the non-Marvel and DC stuff, because obviously, you know, the comic book sites cover that and everything. So there's always information on those coming out. But, you know, I pay attention to your, you know, five trailers to watch this week and what have you and everything that you do. So, I kind of vicariously keep up with movies through your posts and everything because <laughs> well, I'm so bad that. at watching new movies. So the world doesn't
1: know. need the world does not need more hot takes on Marvel and DC. <laughs> I'm actually actually real quick. I, people can follow me on Twitter. It's at James D Shotwell or follow at Substream. That's where I write almost my movie stuff. But I, you know, I, last year I wrote 112 movie reviews and most of them were for like major releases. Right. Um, this year we i was able to bring on a few more writers of substream and especially i would say the last half of this year when we we're done i uh, i've made a very conscious effort to focus on vod films and indie films and smaller titles specifically for that reason because i feel like there's enough like we all know who captain america is but not everyone has heard of captain fantastic which is a great movie that came out earlier this year or or similarly or smaller movies and that documentaries things like that like, that's that's where I feel like the real heart of cinema is right now and the most interesting things are happening, but most people don't know to look there because we all say, Go see Civil War, which you should, but you should also also spend some time like browsing the new video on demand selections. Right. But okay, I know you've got things to do. It's lunchtime for me. I gotta I think I'm gonna go to Jimmy John's plug for Jimmy Johns. I'm looking nice. for a sponsorship. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much
0: for having me on, Deanna. No problem. And we will definitely do this again, cover more movies, and you will probably be the go-to film guy because I don't know if I know anyone who loves film as much as you do.
1: We should do a a best of 2016 in December. Let's do it.
0: Okay. I I have a lot of movies to catch up on, but I have time. We're good. I'll
1: send send you a list. I'll send you a three or four page list. You got time.
0: Okay. Okay. I'll work on it. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.